and there was a report of a different death every day. And I, I just really sat there and I thought to myself, what is going on? Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I am the host, Aaron Watson, and my guest today is Dr. Gina Marchando. She is the executive director of Dream Life Recovery Center, which will be opening up in January and solving or directly addressing the opioid and addiction epidemic regionally in Western Pennsylvania. Our conversation today is not specific to Pittsburgh outside of the fact that Gina chose to come here when she saw an opportunity to make a difference and to move the treatment options forward into some of the most modern approaches available for substance abuse and addiction. This conversation is timeless, is going to be valuable for everyone who has been touched by addiction, whether you have been yourself, have a family member, or just want to know a little bit more about what's going on in our modern world. I learned a lot. I'm so appreciative to Gina for taking the time to speak with us. So here is my conversation with Dr. Gina Marchando. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. I don't usually get to say doctor, so I'm going to I'm going to okay. say doctor. Okay. Um, Dr. Gina, welcome to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks so much for having me. I was really inspired. We were working on another account that we do, Entrepreneurs of Pittsburgh, and I was really inspired by your story. Had to get you on the podcast to share it with the audience. So to start things off, I think it would make a lot of sense just to explain what Dream Life Recovery is, why you guys are out in Donegal, and a little bit about the problem that you're trying to solve. Sure. So Dream Life Recovery um, is a brand new, it's, we're not yet open. We are anticipating opening right after the new year in the first week of January 2019, but we are an 84-bed private detox and rehabilitation center for drugs and alcohol. Uh, we'll be working with clients ages 18 and up that have decided that they've had enough and they want to some, do something different with their life. Um, I think one of the things that we pride ourselves on is, um, you know, and I'm sure we'll get into this later, but I, I really feel that this area's behavioral health practices and just the field in general are, are really about 10 years behind um, other parts of the country. Um, and the current treatment that's available for people in this area are, is what I call treatment as usual. It's going to be um, medication to detoxify you, obviously, from whatever substance that a client is using. And then it's, you know, just don't use. I think we can all agree, clearly that's not working. You can't get on social media. You can't turn on the TV without seeing or hearing about someone else dying as a result of addiction. Um, at Dream Life, we have spent gosh, close to a year, really picking out and identifying different trends and themes and evidence-based practices that work that for whatever reason is not currently being used here in the Pittsburgh area to take that treatment as usual and make it more of an individualized treatment plan. I think I shared with you when we were talking on another project, you know, happy people don't stick needles in their arms. And if addiction was as simple as just don't use, 
people wouldn't be dying. So we have to really treat the underlying issues and what I call kind of the core issues that led to that addiction, whether that is, you know, unresolved childhood trauma and abuse, it's combat trauma. There's a tremendous amount of that these days and the VA just can't keep up. Um, Or it's, you know, other life circumstances that have happened that, you know, people are hurting from and they've turned to substances to really self-medicate. I think that in the growing industry, right? Because I think that we can all agree that, you know, we're such a media savvy age right now. Everything is media based. Um, We have really stopped relating to people. Um, We relate via text and I'm just as guilty of it because it's so much easier to shoot somebody a text than to pick up the phone. Oh yeah. Um, And and those relationship skills that once kind of made our world go round have really ceased to exist. And we've stopped with the relationships. We've also stopped and I think we live in a pretty emotionally illiterate society you know, I I think there's always that issue of what do you do when you see someone having emotions? A lot of times our first reaction is going to be, oh, don't cry. You know, what can I do to fix it? And, and I think, you know, a better answer would be, you know, what are you feeling? What's going on for you? How can I help? Or even just sitting there in silence and being what I call an enlightened witness to somebody having an emotional moment. Um, And until we come together as just human beings and start to do better and relate to each other better, we're going to continue to have this stuck pattern where people are doing whatever. If it's not drugs and alcohol, we all have some type of compulsive behavior to numb out um, our feelings and cease having that uh, meaningful engagement with one another through relationship. There's so much to unpack. I'm so excited. I don't know if we're going to have enough tape here to get it all, but one important component that I just want to make sure from a base understanding standpoint is by going outside of the city and setting up this rehabilitation center elsewhere, in certain ways, superficially, you could say like, well, maybe that would contribute to loneliness because you're kind of pulling people out of a pre-existing social network. But that really is one of the fundamentally core components of the treatment is into some ways break the habits and reorient some of those behaviors. So can you talk about the significance of placing the center outside of the city and how you came to that decision? Absolutely. So when somebody makes that decision to go into treatment, it's, it's usually one of two reasons. Well, three reasons. They're either court ordered and they don't really want to go, but they don't want to go to jail. Um, the family has staged some type of intervention. This is, you know, your last chance. We need you to do this or else. Or the person has accumulated enough loss, right? Maybe they lost their job. Um, they lost a relationship as a result of their using, and they've decided, okay, I'm going to go into treatment. Um, it's a very courageous step to even decide to go into treatment. Um, and then you enter into treatment, right? And and you go through the detox process. And it's essentially, you have to relearn how to live without that substance. Um, it, it's no different than, you know, each of us have our sort of I say like morning, wake up and like bedtime routines, whether it's brushing your teeth, washing your face, uh, these people have that too. And, and they've factored in, you know, using substances as part of that daily routine. So when we um, were scouting sites and, um, you know, one of our founders, uh, Mitch Bauman, he looked at Donegal and, um, you know, it, it, 
just really fit. You know, for people that are local, you think Donegal, what's in Donegal? Or you pass it going to Seven Springs. It's, you know, within an hour of the city, it's far enough removed um, to where it feels like a destination, um, but yet it's close enough to where family involvement can still occur because I'm a huge advocate of, you know, in having intensive familial involvement in the recovery process. And research shows that the more you can actually treat the family systemically along with the client who's going through recovery, the greater the outcomes are for sustained sobriety and recovery as well as um, developing healthier relationships amongst that support system. So in Donegal, um, you know, we, we have the great amenities that can come with, you know, seven springs to where clients can be out hiking or in the winter months, you know, skiing. Um, and we have an amazing plot of land to where we're going to have a tennis court. We'll have a basketball court. We'll have some golfing. So people will still be able to enjoy and engage in life activities, but they're really out of that hustle and bustle of the city. And we've removed any type of distraction that could, you know, suede someone to leave treatment. You know, clients, we don't allow them to use the internet. We don't allow them to check email. They don't have their cell phones. Um, they do have phone privileges, obviously, this, to connect with their family and loved ones. But there's, you know, that first five days of treatment is so critical in getting somebody to, one, just start to physically feel better and get the drugs out of their system, but also help them adjust and sink into that recovery process. So in terms of the types of addictions that you're treating, is that primarily drugs and alcohol? Are there other aspects of addictions that you're going to be treating there? Um, addiction is really, um, it's it's multifaceted. So we all have those compulsive behaviors, as I mentioned before. Um, for a client to come into Dream Life Recovery, they're going to have a primary diagnosis of some type of substance use disorder, alcohol, um, heroin, amphetamine, and, and comorbidly with that, right? I said earlier, happy people don't put needles in their arms. There's going to be underlying mental health issues that are secondary. Could be depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, ADHD, and, you know, there's going to be other ancillary things that come up along the way. Um, so clients that will come into Dream Life Recovery more often than not are going to have what we call co-occurring disorders, where the primary diagnosis, what they're there for, is going to be the drug abuse. But we do have, you know, a fleet of uh, psychiatrists and other, you know, addictionologists as well as physicians who will give the client multiple evaluations to identify, okay, what's really going on? You know, you will find those people who have no idea why they use. And, you know, through the process of evaluating and therapy, it comes out they had no idea that they have, you know, a raging anxiety disorder. Um, we tend to be pretty, I'd say, self contained in the sense that we just assume that everyone thinks the way we do or feels the way we do. Um, and we could be really struggling with something like anxiety and have no idea that, hey, like I could get treatment for this um, and I don't have to live this way. So what was missing? You you came from out of town. You, you alluded to earlier this feeling that some of the practices here are 10 years behind. Can you paint a little bit more picture on what what the differences are and, and why it was so salient to you and, and apparent that this there was an opportunity to evolve some of the treatments? Sure. Um, I, I think I shared with you in conversation, I was actually born and raised in southwestern Pennsylvania, and I left in the early 2000s for grad school. Um, and I found myself, you know, down in South Florida. 
Unfortunately, in the summer of 2017, my nephew became part of the statistic in southwestern Pennsylvania. He um, overdosed and died of heroin. And I remember for that week that I was home for the funeral, it was one of the weeks where there were multiple deaths. Um, and, you know, what will happen is when it's, you know, made aware that somebody's died of heroin, um, a lot of the individuals struggling with addiction will essentially kind of what we call chase the dragon, right? They're after that particular batch of heroin that led to somebody overdosing. It's not that they want to die. They want to have that really intense high. And um, I'm pretty sure that entire week I was here, I was sitting in my mother's living room watching, you know, the news, and there was a report of a different death every day. And I, I just really sat there and I thought to myself, what is going on? You know, Pittsburgh is championed as a medical city. And, and for the most part, we are. We have an amazing healthcare. We have two amazing healthcare systems. Um, we have amazing schools that crank out, you know, world experts and people that are incredibly respected in the field. But when you start to look at behavioral health, we have a huge gap. And it, it just didn't really sit right with me. It, it bothered me um, because, you know, six degrees of separation isn't true when it comes to the epidemic here. I would say, at best, we're one to two degrees of separation. You know, there isn't a single person who doesn't know someone, either personally or indirectly, that has been impacted by the drug epidemic here. Um, and so when this company, when Dream Life started to come together, um, one of the founders uh, reached out to me and said, hey, I'm thinking of opening a treatment center in Pittsburgh. He had no idea I was actually from here. And um, in that moment, I thought, well, thank goodness. Thank goodness somebody is going in and wants to do something different, something innovative, bring another option to the area. And, it, you know, I, I had never really planned to come back to this area, but it came to a point where I kind of shrugged my shoulders and said, well, I guess it's time to go home and do something because nobody else is. So that's how I got back to Pittsburgh. And, you know, I've been back now for about half a year. And I think the treatment that's here is they're doing the absolute best that they can. There's just an abundance of clients and it, there just isn't enough beds to actually provide the treatment that people need in this area. Um, so Dream Life kind of started to come to fruition and we started to identify the things that people aren't doing. Certainly every facility wants to provide evidence-based treatment. And when someone says evidence-based treatment, that's usually through theories of intervention, like cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectical behavioral therapy, which is about, you know, regulating your emotions. And cognitive behavioral is about changing your thought patterns. And those are great, but not everybody learns the same way. Not everybody processes the same way. So at Dream Life, we have taken the steps to expand our core menu of services, so meaning anyone that walks through our door, we're going to have different modalities that more than likely if they've been in treatment in this area, they've not been subjected to before. Um, as I mentioned, we have a great campus. We have a full suite of what we call adventure therapies. And adventure therapy is, you know, it, it can be done a number of different ways. You know, it could be high ropes or low ropes. It could be a pamper pull, um, you know, and it's always done in a therapeutic way. So for the pamper pull, you're, you know, on the top of this really tall podium and um, it's, it's about really surrendering. So, you know, the therapist will walk you through and help you process. And then you really jump from this, this pole. Um, and it, it's about surrendering to the process of recovery and surrendering yourself to, um, you know, working towards those things that you state that you 
you want. We'll be working with equine therapy, which has fantastic outcomes and is being heavily looked at in the clinical world as having some real significant value. Um, there's nothing more amazing than, you know, us as a human being being in the presence of this huge majestic creature who is very intuitive and can help us work on things like boundaries in ways that some people are going to get far more than just traditional talk therapy. We have art therapy, music therapy, energy therapy, because the body remembers, right? We have our actual brain memory, our neurological memory, and then you have cellular memory. And cellular memory for individuals that have a history of trauma and abuse, particularly childhood abuse, whether it's physical or sexual, is overwhelming. You know, we may not have that conscious memory of what happened to us, but we have these feelings or sensations in our body. And when our body reacts, it's kind of scary, right? It's scary when we can't, you know, make sense of something or, or articulate what's going on. And, and that oftentimes can be a trigger for relapse or to use substances. We have uh, hydrotherapy, chromotherapy, acoustic vibrotherapy. Um, you know, these are all different modalities to help an individual go beyond kind of that traditional talk therapy that can allow someone to stay in their head and actually sink into their body because the real recovery work comes from processing those emotions that oftentimes individuals were never able to process when they were younger, right? I, I alluded to earlier that we live in an emotionally illiterate society. Right? It's not about saying, oh, my parents were good, my parents were bad. Everyone does the absolute best they can. But if we grew up in an environment where we learned emotional rules, right? Good girls don't get angry, they cry. Or for boys, right? Boys don't cry, they, they get angry. We have learned messages on a very unconscious level that anytime those emotions start to come up, we are going to push them in that way that coincides with those rules that we learned growing up that we needed to abide by in order to survive. And it might not be survival in the sense of life or death. It could be survival in the sense of, I need to please the grownups around me so they don't abandon me. And that's indistinguishable from survival, Absolutely. E even if it's not the reality. Absolutely. It's all, you know, impulse. One of the biggest wounds, I would say, of childhood is abandonment. And it's not necessarily physical abandonment. It could be emotional abandonment. And when you start to look at different addictions, right, whether we're talking substance abuse, we're talking sex addiction, we're talking eating disorders, abandonment is at the core of all of our addictive behaviors. And a lot of people will say that sounds just so dramatic. And it sounds dramatic because it is dramatic. It's, it's typically that wound that we'll feel in like the core or like the pit of our stomach. People will describe it as like this, just this empty like hole. And they start to attempt to fill it with things. And that can be shopping. That could be drugs, alcohol, food, gambling, sex. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Process addictions are you can't number them. There's so many of them. Self-injury, right? There's so many things that people will do to attempt to fulfill that void that's in that pit or core of their stomach that actually goes back to abandonment injuries um, just so they don't have to feel. Drug and alcohol, it's no different. It's the same process. So talk a little bit about before you were called back to Pittsburgh. How, how similar is this work? Is this just a, a more or less a continuation in a different location or to some degree, are you pushing into new territory of your own skill set in being the executive director of this center? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've run treatment centers before. Um, prior to coming back to Pittsburgh, I was outside of Nashville running um, the ranch. 
which is a 149-bed facility across 22 miles and 2,000 acres. We treated uh, mental health, we treated substance abuse, we treated eating disorders, and sex addiction, um, all gender-specific. Um, and prior to that, you know, I've, I've worked in a corporate role where I was rolling out treatment centers up and down the East Coast. I've run a psychiatric hospital. You know, I've, I've had a private practice. I've, I've done a lot in my career. And I think coming back to Pittsburgh, um, the exciting thing about coming back to Pittsburgh is not only being um, able to be kind of the boots on the ground in changing the face of our area's treatment platform, um, or industry, but but bringing in different modalities that are not currently being done at treatment centers altogether. Um, you know, the days of someone going into treatment and, okay, just stop using drugs and we're going to do talk therapy for a month and then, okay, you're ready to go home, they're over. You know, we're a full continuum of care. Someone can come into us and detox and then stay with us for residential treatment and then step down for partial hospitalization treatment. And, you know, that's that's insurmountable because part, as I mentioned earlier about the relationship piece, when you go into treatment, it's incredibly vulnerable. And you make that connection with your treatment team, your physicians, your therapists. And, you know, at Dream Life, you'll have a team of both. And you start to do the work. And there's nothing worse than somebody starting to do the work and then having to step down or transition treatment teams, you know, prematurely because then it's starting over and all those walls and those guards go back up. And for us to be able to provide that full continuum of care to clients is it's just really invaluable. Um, you know, a client could easily be with us for 45 to 60 days if they stay with us for the full continuum of care. Um, and, and the longer that you can be in that supportive environment, drug-free, with that safety, that support, that containment, the greater the likelihood and outcomes of sustained sobriety and recovery. And it makes sense that if abandonment is really at the core, like cutting something off like that too early would perfectly sear right on that uh, pre-existing wound. Absolutely. It would it would absolutely trigger and probably exacerbate some type of relapse. So you talked a little bit at the beginning of this conversation about we live in this digital world and people are texting instead of calling or they're calling instead of sitting here face to face with someone. And what I, I don't think we're going to solve all the world's problems and, and completely mm-hmm. put all of the understanding on top of this problem. But this abandonment issue, um, this loneliness, this addiction issue, there is a groundswell in terms of media coverage. We actually, a a while back, interviewed John Fetterman, who was one of the first politicians to really talk about the opioid epidemic and this crisis that other people just weren't even acknowledging. In your interpretation, and I don't think this necessarily has to be regionally specific, is this something where we have the tools from a media standpoint to get stories like this out there and we're finally like coming across a long-standing issue or is what we're seeing related to opioid epidemics much more closely tied to access going up modern the modern struggles of like the 2010s the aughts Mm -hmm. really coming to bear How, how do you interpret that more meta analysis of what we're seeing I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, it goes back to, I think, socially constructed norms. 
right? Okay. There, there was a time and place where the dirty laundry doesn't get aired outside of the house, right? Um, and culturally, um, people maintain that. And drugs and alcohol or, you know, abuse, those were things that you just didn't talk about. Um, and I think w- whether it's just gaining popularity or access, um, or there is a greater issue at hand, we're starting to talk more about it in the media, right? The Me Too movement has been um, incredibly powerful to begin to bring um, awareness to light of, you know, sexual abuse. Um, So I I think it's really hard for me to identify specifically what I think um, might be contributing to it. But all I can say is from a clinical standpoint, we need to have more of it. We need to be having these meaningful honest, transparent, and oftentimes very difficult conversations because that's the only way to begin to minimize the stigma. So the more you talk about it, the less of a secret, right? It is, and and secrets are inextricably connected with shame. Um, And so anything we can do to to remove that shame and really, I think, just acknowledge that everybody, regardless of their situation, they're doing the best that they can. Um, And whether we, you know, are pro-alcohol and drug abuse or not, um, it's a coping skill. Good, bad, or indifferent, it's a coping skill. And we have to help people in the best way possible. And I think as a society, we aren't doing the best that we can. And the more, I think, clinically we can band together professionals in the in the network, uh, reaching out to family members and getting familial involvement. I mean, there's countless ways I think we can do better. Um, and, you know, I'm just incredibly excited and, you know, on behalf of Dream Life's um, behalf to uh, be a part of, I think, some of those ground changing ways for the Pittsburgh area. Yeah. And it's a, a another reason just to further enforce why this is such a big deal. I think there's an old proverb. I'm, I'm blanking on where I came across it, but you pay for the sins of your family pays for your sins for seven generations was this basic idea. And that's examples of alcoholism getting passed down or other forms of abuse and how there's a snowball effect if the pattern isn't broken. And mm-hmm. so where I think, you know, even, even recently I may have thought of something like this, like, Oh, you're putting, a band-aid on a wound in some way, if you're really able to make that meaningful change in someone's life, then they're going to get to proceed into the world, hopefully not perpetuating that cycle. Like you said, if alcoholism mm-hmm. was hidden in the family beforehand, this is that opportunity to nip it in the bud and just create a healthier society, a healthier culture mm-hmm. writ large. So I, I think it's fantastically exciting. Yeah, there's there's um, a really amazing therapeutic exercise called a genogram, and it's looking at you know three generations of a family. So if you know I was doing one with you, we would go you know back to your grandparents level and starting to trace behavioral patterns, emotional patterns, and it becomes sort of this family map. Um, and what you will absolutely be able to see is exactly what you're talking about that um, sort of passing down of different behavioral mechanisms that will always look a little bit different each generation. But I always say to people, it takes three generations to really cultivate change. And if you can look back and and you know what the two generations before you have done, you are in a position of empowerment because you can become that pioneer within your family to begin to change some of these behavioral cycles. Goosebumps. I'm so excited by that idea. Gina, this has been Mm -hmm. fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show. 
Uh, before we do our standard wrap-up questions, is there anything else that you're hoping to share today, uh, whether that is about addiction, about dream life, about your work that we didn't give you the chance to? Um, I, you know, I think it's it just comes down to being kind to one another and really, you know, every day having some type of awareness that, okay, everybody is doing the best that they can. What can I do to make somebody's life a little easier, a little happier today? And, you know, picking up that phone and reaching out to a friend or a family member you haven't heard from in a while and just saying, hey, I'm thinking of you. You know, not being afraid to talk out loud with people and have those meaningful conversations about some of the things that um, are going on, whether it's substance related, it's trauma related, it's something else related. Um, the universe gives us plenty of opportunities every day to become a change factor. And um, I just really encourage people to identify those in their life and be brave enough to, to take that challenge on. I love that. And I also think a big part of that is bringing someone in. So if, if you know someone might be lonely or struggling, recognizing the strength of your own family or friend group or social group and finding a way to pull those people in absolutely. and understanding that that's a, a big part of making a change. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, you're faced with a situation that you don't know how to handle, you know, reaching out to a professional. Um, as I mentioned, we're not going to be open until January, but, you know, our, our hotline is up and running. So, you know, always feeling free to give us a call. Um, for help because we're more than happy to connect people with resources that they might be needing. Perfect. That hotline is on the website, but I want to make sure that people get all the digital coordinates so they can learn more about Dream Life Recovery. Uh, where can we direct people? Um, you can direct them to dreamliferecovery.com. It's, uh, our hotline is 1-833-330-LIFE. Um, you can find us on Facebook under Dream Life Recovery, and you can find us on Instagram at Dream Life PA and follow our construction progression. Beautiful. We're going to link that all in the show notes. Uh, GoingDeepTherein.com slash podcast is the place to find it for this and every episode of the show. But as we do at the end of each conversation, uh, Gina, I'd like to give you the mic one final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. I would absolutely challenge everyone to go out of their way to just be kind to somebody today, whether it's a stranger, whether it's making eye contact or just a smile, because those meaningful relational interactions can make all the difference in somebody's world, especially somebody who is struggling with addiction, to really let them know that, hey, they're seen or they could be heard. It's going to make you feel good too. It's, the, it's mm -hmm. a virtuous cycle. I love that challenge. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and for sharing some of your time with us today. Thank you for having me. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please hit subscribe if you've not already done so and mark your calendars for March 23rd, 2019 for the second Going Deep Summit. We'll be hosting it in the city of Pittsburgh. We have some amazing speakers, including Alan Gannett and Mike Dariano speaking at this iteration of the event. Some more announcements coming soon in terms of speakers, final locations, and other juicy details. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.